Of all the words that would describe Christmas, there is really one word that stands out among them all. And you can think of all kinds of things that Christmas represents. When it comes to scripture, and especially in the last couple of years for myself, one of the things that I have uh, been you know, trying to keep my eyes and my attention uh, open to, there are Christmas passages, if you will, scattered throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament. As I mentioned last Sunday, you know, we, we tend to go to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke for the, uh, you know, the accounts of the narrative of Jesus' uh, birth. Those uh, supply a lot of the details of it, but the speaking of the event that was to come, especially prophetically, the scriptures are throughout all of scripture, and I kind of just wanting to discover more and more of those. There's one word that kind of clues you in to the possibility of this, you know, kind of being one of those prophetic verses that looks forward to the coming of Jesus is the word love, okay? I want to look at uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. John writes it this way. He says, in this is love, okay? So this is what love looks like. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Now, that word propitiation can, you know, I, I don't know if you know what that is, but, you know, that's a word we use in everyday language, isn't it? When was the last time you used propitiation on the phone, right? You're talking to your best friend, and oh yeah, the propitiation, you know. No, it's, it's a word we don't use very much except in church, okay? It's a Bible word that has to do with sacrifice or atonement for sin and making something that is unholy, holy. And that's what John is explaining in this verse, is that God sent his son into this world to make us holy for relationship with God. And what drove God to do that? Well, it was love. Now, here's another verse you may not think of as a Christmas verse, but really, it is the most complete verse. It's the entire Bible in a single verse, if you will. And it's what Christmas is. It's something that uh, just transcends you know, time and space here. For us, you have probably memorized this verse at some point in your life. If you've memorized anything, you've memorized John 3.16. Isn't that probably true, huh? So why don't you say it out loud with me? I'm going to count down to three, and then we're just going to launch into it. John 3.16. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. That's it in a nutshell. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about, is this idea that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. Now, um, each uh, Sunday of Advent, there are four Sundays of Advent that uh, we celebrate, four Sundays preceding Christmas and more liturgical situations. Uh, a candle is lit for each Sunday of Advent. And the second candle of Advent is the uh, candle that expresses love. It speaks to God's love. And, uh, you know, love is a powerful uh, emotion that, that we experience as human beings. And there's probably none more powerful than love that, that uh, is at work in our lives. Uh, you know, we love our children. We love our spouses. We love, you know, those who are near and meaningful to us. And so much is motivated by love. But Often, when we think of love, of course, we think of romantic love, and, uh, you know, even the songs of Christmas, you know, have such a theme of love running through them, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of loving the idea of love, and uh, we, uh, we 
hear so much about that. But the power of God's love is, is different than that. It's the, it's the deepest, most satisfying, transforming love a human can experience. Now, even romantic love, it, it is a kind of a, a transactional kind of love. You know, we are transactional people. We go to the store and they have a price on what it is that we want and we bring that item to the cashier and uh, we have a transaction, okay? We, I'll take this item and I will give you the money that it's worth. And there's a transaction, something for something. And you and I operate that in a lot of ways. Now, love can even be that way. You know, it's like, I will love you if you will love me back. You know, we, we don't like rejection, you know, so we're kind of careful about that. But, you know, as long as that bargain is held, you know, my love uh, is for you and your love is for me. And that's the transaction. That's the exchange. God's love is different than that. We are so grateful for this. And, and we see hints of this in the verses that we have read. And I, I want to read First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 10 again. Uh, it says, in this is love. Not that we loved God. So there's no exchange here. There's no transaction. We didn't love God to begin with, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So this is what love looks like, not an even exchange, not a 50-50 deal. It's like God was all in and more so because he gave his only begotten son for us before we even knew him or loved him. Now that's a crazy kind of love. Theologians have debated for centuries, why did God create the earth? Why did God bother? Can you imagine God living in eternity so there's no beginning and no end, and everything is running perfectly well? How many know that if it ain't broke, you don't what? You don't fix it. Well, somebody didn't tell that to God, okay? You know, why would God bother with us? Why would he bother making us in the first place? You know, we're a lot of trouble. You know, we, uh, we can't even get along, you know, with each other, that sort of thing. And we even, you know, heap a lot of abuse on God himself. How can you explain that? Why did God invite this kind of trouble? Creating mankind, creating a, a world where so much could go wrong. Well, one of the things that, that maybe kind of gives us a little shade of understanding as to how or why God might do something like this. Now, I don't know if anybody here in this room has, but uh, one of the phenomenons that happened over the last couple of years in our country is people have hunkered down at home and quarantined and all of that. You know, they were lonely, right? And so they, they went to the, to the animal shelters all across our country and adopted animals, okay? Mostly cats and dogs and whatever. Why would you do that? Yeah, you know, you were just missing, you know, uh, somebody in your house that would leave you little surprises, you know, once in a while. You were just wanting somebody in your house once in a while to track mud across the kitchen floor. You were just wanting somebody in your house, you know, that would maybe pull the stuffings out of the furniture. Why would you do that? Why would you ask for that kind of trouble? We want to love. We want to love. There's a whole lot forgiven, overlooked, you know, the expense of having another mouth to feed, you know, another mess maker to clean up after. 
all that. But you know what? We're willing to do it for love, for love. So why did God bother with us? We just look at our own lives and we think, man, what a, what a mess I've made of things at times, you know? Why would God ever even love me? You know, of all the answers that there could be, it just really comes down to one. Why did God bother? Why did he create us? Why did he send his son into the world to redeem us? It's for that reason. You know, there's a lot of messes we make. A lot of times we're ungrateful. A lot of times, you know, we, we look at God and we think that maybe he owes us something. You know, what if, you know, that, that cuddly little animal you adopted from the animal shelter and brought into your home, you know, it was destined to, to live out its days in a lonely existence in the animal shelter, and, and yet you had mercy and pity on them, and you brought them into your house. What if they took the attitude that, that somehow you owed them a living? What if, you know, they could just talk and say, hey, hurry up. There's no food here. We need some food. Would you hurry it up? Maybe they do that already. I don't know, huh? Uh, but, uh, you know, this idea that somehow God would owe us something when he owes us nothing, when our very lives are dependent upon him, yet he chose to step into that world. He, he chose to step into that experience for love. There really isn't any other explanation in rational terms. Uh, he did it because he loves us, and this shows how hard God is fighting for us to live free from sin because he loves us so much that he even gave his only son to be the propitiation or the atonement or the sacrifice for our wrongdoing. And this season gives us time to pause and reflect and ponder this kind of love and what it has afforded us and what we might ponder and it, what it might lead us to think about is how we might live our lives demonstrating more of God's kind of love towards others. You know, I, I think more this time of year than any other year. I see it on the news, I hear it around town. Uh, all of these incredible efforts to help other people. Maybe people who've been laid off from jobs or uh, people who are just disadvantaged in some way. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, and in Western civilization, let me tell you this, uh, this is where this comes from, this season of generosity that we experience. And maybe take for granted. We think, oh, you know, that just happens, you know. But, you know, we give so much during this time of year. And, and it really comes out of this idea that God gave to us. That's our reciprocal piece is what we give to others. And I think it's a wonderful thing. You know, our church and many other churches and people, you know, uh, have gathered coats and worn garments, you know, for the homeless. And, you know, we've traveled to Anchorage and we've passed out those garments for people and, and uh, that they could receive freely. We don't know them. They have never done anything for us. It's just an expression of giving because of that broader idea that God loves us. And in return, we love others. And I think, you know, wouldn't it be a, a more wonderful world to live in if we would think that way more often, right? You know, we, uh, we're told and we hear it all the time that we live in such a divided country right now. And it's left versus right. And uh, it's right and wrong in the eyes of the beholder. And, and uh, we're angry and uh, want to cut others off and leave others out and draw dividing lines. And, and uh, it's, it's just the opposite. Of, of what God has done for us. And, and if you and I could understand that, you know, just the incredible width of God's love, and God's love is inclusive to everyone. I, one of the more comforting thoughts that I have is that God loves you as much on, on your very best day 
maybe you did everything right. Maybe you didn't even have a, a negative thought. And God loves you on that day. But you know what? He loves you just as much on your very worst day. The level of God's love, the intensity of God's love does not change based on we're having a good day or whether we're not having a good day. God's love is not affected by that. And, you know, in human beings, we know very little of that kind of dynamic, right? People's performance or adopted family members, uh, their performance really affects how much we love them on that particular day. You know, based on their behavior, based on their performance, you know, our feelings of love, you know, can vary. Uh, but God's never does. God would die for us or send his son to die for us as much on our worst day as on our best day. And I think that's an incredible thought. That God isn't looking for us to be perfect in order to deserve or earn his love. I think, you know, when we think about that, it easily leads us to this idea of what really matters in our lives. And if I am loved that much, how can I not try to extend that? How can I not try to reciprocate that love uh, for other people around us? You know, what really matters? You know, this time of year, the whole idea of gift giving, I think that's, that's great and that's fun and we really look forward to that. And, and I think, you know, as we get older, I think, you know, maybe we still like receiving gifts, but, but I think we get more enjoyment out of giving gifts and finding, you know, a gift that, that's just right for the person that it's intended for. I think there's a lot of joy in that. And if we would kind of model our lives to reflect that more often, you know, we're going we're gonna to move out of Christmas season here shortly, it'll be New Year's, and we're going to be looking at Easter already. And, but if we could just kind of, you know, try to bring what we're ex experiencing, you know, um, appreciating during this time of year, you know, Christmas is unlike any other holiday. I don't know any other holiday that really gets a whole month of attention. And, uh, you know, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but, you know, maybe a a couple of days, you know, and that's because it's a long weekend. So, uh, you know, we kind of think about Thanksgiving more than a couple of days or Fourth of July. That's a one day event, you know, even Easter, you know, we have kind of a build up to Easter, but nothing compares to Christmas. And I think because at, at its core, this, this whole idea of God's love and love like no other love we have ever experienced is the subject of everything that uh, we celebrate. You know, as we love our family, as we love, you know, those who are close to us, I think we can also extend that beyond. You know, I, I think there are just so many people that are in, in this world, especially since we have, you know, been separated from each other. I uh, read an article just this morning, just kind of checking the news, and uh, it says churches are still struggling from this pandemic, you know, and terms of people coming back to church and churches all over our country are still not seeing the people that were in service and involved and part of things before the pandemic and it has totally disrupted that sort of continuity and everything you know we're, we're not really built for that and you know so many people struggle and I think church is one of the places that we ought to feel that we belong I think church is a place where we ought to experience what God's love is all about. You know, it goes beyond just sort of a superficial hello at the door, but to learn how to care for each other and to think of each other outside of this space and in some way and in some manner. I think, you know, to, to love like God loves, 
just probably requires more energy and more thought, more intentionality than, than we're prepared for sometimes. But I think if we really understood what was important, you know, at the end of our lives, what do we want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy are we going to leave? What kind of stories are people going to tell? And somehow we touch their lives. And I think that's a, that's a good question for us. I want to read a prayer from the Apostle Paul out of Ephesians chapter 3. It gives us a pattern of how to model our love, not only for the people that we love who are close to us, but broaden that circle and open those boundaries that we've created, you know, from each other and around each other to begin to see the world around us the way God sees it. Ephesians chapter 3 in verses 14 through 19 Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, there's so much there to unpack and to uh, apply even to our own lives here. And I, I want to look at verses 18 and 19 as kind of the point here of what I'm speaking about. Paul writes in, in uh, verse 18 that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width. What is the width of God's love? How wide is God's love? Well, God's love is, it encompasses everyone. Um, that's easy and maybe trite to say, but God loves the deserving, which is, of course, us, right? And the undeserving, which is, of course, them, right? You know, with God, there is no us and them. God loves the deserving as much as the undeserving, whoever, you know, standard that, that might come from. You know, we like to think that, you know, we, we're, we do things right or we do things the way God would want us to do. And, you know, that we have some in on God loving us. And the truth of the matter is, is that God loves us no matter what. And, and that's how wide his love is. The deserving and the undeserving, you know, the nice and the not nice. The saint and the sinner. The peaceable and the violent. Now, we can treat these as, as meaningless platitudes or we can really begin to unpack this and understand God love, that God died for even the people we have a harder time finding a positive thought for, and he has included them in his love. There's no one outside of that boundary. You know, and as I mentioned a moment ago, we're, we're being challenged in our present times about this, and uh, we must be vigilant, and it's right, you know, to protect the ones that we love and all of that, do so in wisdom, but not hate. And we must remember that God sent Jesus to die for others as well as ourselves that God's love isn't doled out in any sort of way that we earn or think that we deserve so Paul goes on that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length how long is God's love how long has God loved us the Bible tells us that God has loved us since before we were born that God loved us in eternity past God loved us long before we were ever born. He loves us today. No matter what we've ever done, he will love us through eternity. And God's love for us is not a passing amusement. Well, good question. How long have you loved God? That's a good question. How long have you loved God? 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, this says this again, what's echoed in the verses from John that we read just a little while ago. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a pretty amazing reach of God's love. Before, while we were still sinners, before we even acknowledged him, before we even loved him back. You see, it's not transactional at all. God initiated this whole thing, and God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still in sin, that he died for us. Paul goes on, how high, how high is God's love? You know, God's love isn't a low and selfish love. It's not a what's in it kind of love for us. God knows everything about us. You know, there are certain things that probably about ourselves that only we know. We haven't shared it with anybody else. Nobody else understands it. Nobody else knows about it. It's not anything we've ever uh, let out, if you will. But God knows it. You know things that you've done. You know things that you've said. You know things that, you know, fall short of what they should have been. And maybe nobody else knows that thing. But you know what? God knows all those things. And yet he still loves you. Psalm 139, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. You know, did you ever wonder where the idea of Santa Claus, you know, he knows where, you know, when you are sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Yeah. Verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Powerful. God knows us that deeply, that intimately. God knows more about you than you know about you. And yet he loves us. I think so many times I disappoint, you know, so many times I, I fall short, and yet God still loves me. That's really hard to comprehend. I think, the, you know, we're hardwired to this whole transactional uh, basis of uh, love, and it's hard to, you know, get away from that. But the God loves me 100%, even when I fail to measure up in my own eyes. And then the, the last dimension of God's love is how deep is God's love? God's love is deeper than our sin. It's deeper than our unfaithfulness. It's deeper than our problems. It's deeper than where we can go to hide. There's nowhere where we can escape God's love. Even if you feel alone, even if you feel isolated, even if you feel like you are rejected and cut off from everyone, God still loves you. His love will still find you. And that's what this season, Advent, can help us to ponder perhaps a little more deeply than than just presents and just office parties and family parties, you know, getting together. It can help us focus on what kind of life we want to live, what legacy we wish to leave behind, and, and to identify what is most important in our lives. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and be prepared to close our service this morning with the final song. But perhaps you are here today and you don't know Christ is your Savior and Lord. That is... Uh, that is the whole reason why the Father sent Jesus, the Son, to earth. That's what Christmas is really all about. It's about you. It's about reaching out to you and making you part of God's family. And, you know, if you can think of some experience that you might have had in inviting someone into your home, maybe even if it's a shelter, you know, puppy. Why? Why do you do that? Why? Because you just wanted someone to love and someone to experience that love. You know what? God wants to experience your love for him as well. He's demonstrated his love, make it possible for us to have relationship with him. 
And the first step to understanding that, hey, we need to come into this relationship with Jesus. Why? Well, the Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've sinned, I've sinned. And sin is what has separated us from God. It's made us unholy, unsuitable to be in God's presence. But do you remember that first verse that God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin? That wonderful word propitiation means to make something unholy, holy again. And that's why Jesus came. To make us who are unholy, sinners, holy again. Romans uh, 6.23 goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. And, and if we stay in that status, that's our eventual end. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all we need to do at this point is just to believe that. Do you believe that God sent his son? Do you believe the whole reason for Christmas? Do you believe the story of this baby born in Bethlehem? To grow up, to teach us how to live, to die on the cross, to be the propitiation for our sin? Do you believe that story? It's true. It's the word of God. Romans 10, 10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And the moment that we believe, wow, God, you did that for me. I don't understand that. I don't understand how or why, but you did that for me. The Bible calls that saving faith. And then there's just one more thing to add to that, that we confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved we admit we believe and then we confess would you bow your heads with me heavenly father we thank you for your love how high it is how wide it is how long it is how deep it is lord we can't escape it and I pray today lord anyone who has not experienced that kind of love from you, would just reach out today by faith and say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I believe that you can and will forgive me of my sin. I believe that you came to earth as a baby in Bethlehem, that your mission was to die for my sin on the cross. And so, Lord, today I... I believe this. And I confess you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, I pray that you would show me how to live and how to walk and how to love others as you have loved me. Lord, I pray that you'd change my life into whatever I am now to something better. Lord, not that we are better than others, we're just better than what we once were. And Lord, that we can live our lives demonstrating the kind of love that God has for us and for everyone. 
through our actions and through our words, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.